thing that is supposed to be explained is supposed to be resting on things that don't need to be explained. Lots of explanations are really description and restatement of the problem. Hey, humans! Welcome to Demystifying Science, the gathering place of the galaxy's best and brightest. We started the transmission with the words of Dr. Daniel Pauly, a veteran fisheries scientist and French knight who has been asking the hard questions about assumptions that scientists make. Our conversation with Dr. Pauly, like most of our Earthling rendezvous, spanned many topics. Ecology, how change is simultaneously difficult yet necessary, the political situation on Earth, and the strange nature of the human animal. Somewhere in there, we even tried to reckon with the non-material aspects of biology and how futile it is to treat humans as nothing more than a stack of inanimate atoms. But more than anything else, we circled around the tricky question of starting points in science. How can we navigate an explanation if we aren't sure of the phenomenon itself? Like, for example, the Earth's focus on the causal relationship between man-made CO2 and global temperatures. This assumption about carbon dioxide then leads scientists to the conclusion that reducing its emission will ultimately stabilize the climate. But what if Earthlings have made a mistake and managing carbon dioxide is unnecessary rather than a sufficient condition for maintaining the well-being of the planet? What if there are other equally insidious threats to humans and their habitat, like pesticides, industrial waste, single-use plastics, or just overconsumption? But currently, the conversation about carbon dioxide is totalizing. Only one correct answer, that industrial interventions are necessary to reduce carbon dioxide emissions, and that the planet's climate must be stabilized and prevented from further change. This is one of those cases where getting where you want to go, rather than just getting somewhere, requires more than a mastery of logic. It also requires a careful evaluation of that first assumption. Much like navigating by the North Star, actually requires knowing the North Star. When our ability to correctly estimate a reliable starting point is compromised, either by time, politics, or belief, it almost impossible to reach a robust conclusion about anything, whether it's orienteering, fate of the climate, or just what's after breakfast. In the case of science, the systematic process by which we understand material existence, our conclusions can only be sturdy if we start by considering all of the possibilities. If one refuses to consider a possibility because it complicates a political message, or undermines a belief system, no amount of logic can lead to understanding. The challenges of climate engineering that some humans demand are enormous, far beyond even what we Albophlossians have done on our planet. But there are those like Dr. Polly who believe that it is the right thing to do, especially because a hotter planet will disproportionately affect the Earth's poorest countries. This isn't the last conversation that we're going to have on the topic but it does get us thinking about how to build a dependable scientific model for something as complicated as humans and their planet. Well, science might not have the last word after all. 
because it doesn't seem too effective at addressing intangibles like motivation, spirit, and emotion. Yeah, science isn't about to explain why the hurdy-gurdy makes me feel like dancing. And me like sleeping. Anyways, remember to subscribe to the channel on YouTube and leave us a review if you're listening to the audio version. It's the best way to support our ad-free productions and help bring the brightest earth thinkers out for a chat. Take care, humans. Bye. Bye. I hear that you are the first marine biologist to consider history. Well, that's, uh, I don't think this is the case. Um, um, Anything you want to do in in marine biology or in uh, biological science is inherently historical. And um, because of evolution and um, I think that uh, lots of people have thought about also history in a narrow sense of what um, mm, Aristotle or other other grand uh, researchers of the past have done. And uh, so they are, for example, the biologist uh, Thompson had written about uh, about um, about Aristotle's writing and uh, I have a, a little French book about a French biologist who studied Plinius writing in a Roman author. So I am not the first biologist, marine biologist to to look at um, at history, but I have done it throughout my career and consistently and and uh, therefore uh, I'm a little bit associated with this idea more. Yeah. But it sort of seems like the other biologists were looking at the oceans in a different way before you. Like you were bringing yeah, a, new, a, t- a new flavor of metrics to the table. Yeah, this is true. Um, there they are many ecologists who want to, uh, who wanted, especially in the 80s and, and then 70s and 80s to 90s, uh, who wanted to make the discipline, their discipline, ecology, marine ecology, uh, more resembling physics more. And um, physics is characterized by uh, having having no, no real temporal dimension. Lots of physical process work uh, backward in time. Uh, uh, like and, they're reversible. Um, on, like the processes are reversible. Yes, right. And um, they... There are lots of models in ecology where the process are supposed to be reversible. For example, um, uh, if you overfished uh, a stock, you reduce it. Uh, if you if you fish less, it's supposed to bounce back. Now, this is roughly correct, but uh, but but not really because if you in a process of of uh, of fishing too hard, if you change the genetic comp- uh, uh, um, composition of the stocks, it takes a very long time 
for 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 certain alleles to 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 show up again or in the same in the same proportion or a certain um, a certain part of the ecosystem uh, need uh, a very long to recover for example a coral reef uh, if you if you blast it away uh, it takes a hundred if not thousand of years to recover and so you don't have whereas the fish can recover very fast so you don't have uh, this time symmetry and uh, it was uh, illusory to make um, fishery science and and uh, much of ecology to try to make it um, of more physical uh, or, or attempts to make it look like it's physics and um, I, I think this uh, this is a uh, a passing fashion and uh, since the, <clears throat> the since the the transition to the first century, uh, to the 21st century, um, this is largely overcome. Uh, and and um, several papers, of which mine on 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 anecdote and, and shifting baseline, um, have contributed to to realizing the need to explicitly to to consider history explicitly, and uh, a subdiscipline or has emerged, it's called historical marine ecology, that largely is go back, goes back to, to, to such thoughts and, and maybe this, this, is, this paper of mine contributed to it. Um, there are other papers of, uh, that uh, contributed to it, notably a paper by Jeremy Jackson in Science that showed the, the effect of, of overfishing, uh, historically overfishing, uh, for hundreds of years, still, still impacting us. Yeah. So, how do you know that a historical account is accurate? Well, uh, we we can we know the converse. For example, if you um, the study of cod in New England, it was. Uh, uh, Cod in New England was extremely important um, at the beginning of the, the settlements uh, there from Europeans, uh, just like uh, they were they crucial for Canada. And um, cod was exploited very strongly by boats um, um, based in, in, in Boston. They came all the way to, to Canada. And in fact, the Mi'kmaq language uh, called for American, it's Boston. And um, so very important. And yet uh, when you do so-called stock assessment, how many cord are left in the sea? How much cord is left in the sea? People working on this now, uh, they will go back 20 years, 30 years and assess um, how much fish is in the sea, how much should be left uh, uh, by uh, the, the fleet that operate uh, now and so on. Yet a colleague of mine, uh, his name was Andrew Rosenberg, uh, about 15 years ago published uh, uh, an estimate of the biomass of the amount of cod that was there in, in uh, around New England. And it was, it was exploding the graph uh, where the, the, the biomass trend uh, now was in the upper, in the lower right corner the the estimate uh, from from before was in the upper 
left corner. And and the transition is lost in time because people don't reconstruct the data. And and any any statement about the proper level of COD is is completely erroneous if it doesn't take uh, mention take uh, account of uh, of what was there before. Um, we have similarly uh, a paper in um, in review right now um, where we analyze 500 years of COD data from Canada of COD catches and uh, uh, for 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 four centuries, um, uh, cod uh, yielded about 150 to 200,000 tons per year of fish, of good food, and uh, of fish. And um, since 1950, with uh, the trawlers have been brought into the picture, and um, a, a new method of fishing, and uh, they uh, they have. Massacred the stock, and uh, and the catch uh, rose all the way to seven hundred uh, seven hundred thousand tons per year, eight hundred thousand. But then collapsed. Then uh, this led to the collapse uh, in the eighties uh, with Canada, then banning uh, foreign fleet, and uh, then finishing off the cod in ninety two. The fishery was closed. And I was, a, at the time, I was a student in Germany, and I was uh, on a German research vessel in 72, 73, sorry, um, uh, in, uh, in Labrador and uh, Newfoundland. And, and we fished, uh, we, we have, it was an enormous German vessel. We fished enormous quantities of fish, and uh, we were measuring the fish and so on. But it's, must, it's quite, quite, quite clear to me now, in retrospect, that the scientists that were on board and what were uh, sh showing us what to do, they didn't know what they were doing, and they mm. didn't know what what the impact of these methods were. And uh, so the stock now has moved from millions of tons to about 10,000, 12,000 tons that can be caught. And... Uh, and they still want to fish it, and and they still maintain it at such low level. And if you don't know that you had millions of tons before that you could exploit and maintain 200,000 tons per year, uh, now if you don't know it, you 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 mislead yourself and the public in in that you have a sustainable fishery that produces 10,000 tons per year. So what are the dangers of losing all these fish? Is it just that your species is going to starve from not eating, or are there more wide-ranging dangers? Oh, so what are the dangers from losing a fish? The danger is that you lose the fish. And, and that means that uh, you, you lose a, a resource. You lose also a component of an ecosystem that is extremely productive. And uh, so you you render the ecosystem, uh, the marine ecosystem of your of your coast, you you render it unproductive. And uh, and so instead of operating in bounty, we operate in 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 misery. And uh, the the modification of habitat by humans is a well known thing. Uh, 
For example, if you look at uh, pictures from Iraq, for example, on TV and, and people fight, the background is always um, semi-desert, uh, desertic. Uh, it's all sand. There is no tree, no green, no nothing. But uh, uh, if you if you flash back to to 2,000, 3,000 years ago, this is where a massive civilization emerged that uh, were based on the farming of wheat. And uh, uh, that was the, the entire Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia region was a, a breadbasket. Then uh, irrigation caused salinization, the, uh, and uh, they had to shift over to barley which is more soil tolerant, and then nothing grew, and the soil was destroyed. And now we have massive desertic area in an area before that was a breadbasket. And, and we do that on a, on a large scale. Now, in, in Iraq, you can see it because the soil isn't there anymore. But in a, in a sea that is similar, uh, when ecosystem uh, becomes barren, uh, it, it, the structure of the, of the at the bottom is gone uh, because of trawling that uh, laminates uh, everything in the bottom, and uh, because the animals that make up a uh, um, uh, marine ecosystem, the way uh, the trees make up a forest, um, they are gone. So there is no there is only water and uh, uh, and polluted water at that because. Uh, uh, Without an, an, a, a functioning ecosystem, uh, you have a proliferation of harmful algal, algal blooms. Yeah. So that didn't really work out for the Akkadian people or the Sumerians that were farming that region. Well, we last visited <laughs> uh, them. They were doing okay the last time that we came by Earth, but it seems like they're not really around anymore. Have you seen Nineveh lately? <laughs> yeah, the yeah, the Acadian with K's um, uh, are gone, and so are the Acadian with AC um, uh, from uh, from uh, New France. And basically, basically, it was uh, cod in this case uh, that was uh, at uh, the background for the <laughs> fight uh, between the French and the English. Uh, uh, it is very much. Uh, a cod story, the, the story of the beginning of Canada. Wait, tell us, yeah. tell us more about this cod story at the center of history. Well, basically, um, Europeans exploited the discovery of Canada, the their discovery of Canada, um, by um, seasonally uh, sending seasonal. Uh, seasonally, every every fishing season in the summer, uh, uh, a crew of uh, of fishers from Europe, and that, that was uh, 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 British, uh, French, Portuguese, and so on. They came and uh, grabbed all the cod they could, dried it, and brought it back to Europe uh, in different form. Uh, bacalao is one well-known form where it was dried. It was uh, wind dried and uh, became uh, like wood. Uh, and uh, this, you could keep this going. I've lived in the Philippines, for example, and they, 
the, the very rich in the Philippines, they eat bacalao, which come from Spain, which came from, uh, which came from, um, from New England and, <laughs> and Canada. So that has been going on for, for hundreds of years. And it was a, a fishery that was uh, sustainable and uh, it, it was a very hard work because uh, the people that, that uh, fished that uh, on, were on very small vessel, on small boat uh, with uh, rowing and, and they had lines and stuff and they, they brought their catch into the big, bigger boats and then uh, they were bought, bought on land to, to dry and so on. This was a big business in a, in a time, but but it was driven. It was not driven by fossil energy. It was driven by the wind, um, because sailing and so on, and by muscle power. So there was a limit to what you could do. And the important thing is that there was a limit to the depth at which you could operate. Mm. So you would extract cod only down to about 50 meters. So the majority of cod, though, they were in deeper water. Mm. So the, you had, you had a, 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 like a, a treasure in a bank. And uh, what came out is only the interest uh, from that bank or only the cod that wanted to be caught committed suicide by, by going into shallow water. I'm, ex- I'm, uh, I'm using all kind of analogies, obviously not. Uh, Depressed not fish everywhere. But they, they could fish, they, Europeans could fish only uh, this, uh, could fish only the fish uh, down to about 50 meters. And later, uh, when, <clears throat> when a local fishery developed, I'm not talking about that of First Nation, I'm, I'm a local European fishery developed because settlers had, uh, had settled in, in Newfoundland. They used traps, and these traps reach also to 30, 40 meters. The, the biggest ones. And that maintained the fishery uh, until the fif- late 50s, uh, the early 60s. But in the early 60s, giant trawlers came from Europe. And these giant trawlers were not, don't have the depth limit. Uh, in fact, I remember we, uh, on this German vessel, we could fish at uh, one kilometer depth. And we did. And, and, uh, the, the troll net came back and it was full of cod, obviously, but also deep sea fish, uh, so-called redfish, and uh, all kind of black little fish that, that lived uh, in very deep water and rocks, boulders, this, you know, like, uh, like these glacial rocks that are all rounded. And uh, they were the, the size of a little Volkswagen. Wow. And and all of this was thrown on board, and <clears throat> it was tons and tons of stuff. And uh, because we were on a research vessel, uh, it was a commercial vessel converted to a research vessel. We 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 would uh, pick out maybe hundred cord, measure them, and throw the everything out. Uh, throw out everything. It was a giant gigantic waste. But we could fish at one kilometer depth, even more, and. And so it's like it's like you open the treasure chest of a bank. The, 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 you can empty the treasure. They, so you don't you don't fish the interest. You fish. You don't get the interest from the capital. You get the capital, and that that uh, that 
works out very fine for a few years, but then the, <laughs> then the treasure is empty, and uh, there you are. So and there you are with with no more cod. Sorry, do you imagine some sort of a national reserve type system? Well, obviously, the proper fishery management involves leaving lots of fish in the water because this is a fish in the water that produces the fish that you catch. And uh, so you must have a, a, a high biomass of fish. It's called biomass. Uh, a high number of big fish in the water. So they, they produce the eggs that produce the young that produce the, the, the fish that you can catch. And so you can maintain... Uh, the big population, if you maintain a big population, you can also paradoxically get a big catch. If you rapidly uh, fish down what you have, you will succeed in maintaining big catch until the end. So it's like, it's like you have an inheritance and you can forever get uh, an interest, 5% or 10%, or you decide to live large and then you you get into the capital. And um, so that's an option of fisheries management uh, that exists when it's well done, can be very profitable and can be profitable and you, you can have very profitable fisheries. And uh, an example of that is the US that have, they have a very good management system. In Canada, we don't. In Canada, hmm. we have a system that is at the mercy of the whims of the minister. And so the minister can decide to let every, any fishery, the Ministry of Fishery, be opened up and the level of catches can be, can be set by the ministerial, by Ministerial Fiat. Uh, in the US, uh, the level of catches is determined by a rule. Uh, the rule is that uh, <clears throat> the biomass uh, in the sea must be above a certain level and you can catch that that what is in excess of that level. Um, so in, in the US, they have a system where you have a law that is applied. Uh, here in Canada, we have a system where the, the Minister of Justice can intervene in a trial. Wow, that's maybe the first nice thing anyone said good. about the US all winter. Yeah, we haven't heard a lot yeah, about they, <laughs> they, mind you, Mind you, if Trump had been reelected, that would be the, the that would be the thing that he would have abolished, because uh, because he was uh, his uh, minister uh, secretary of commerce had begun the demolition of the of the management system, but they did not succeed, and um, they were not fast enough. But uh, they would have demolished that uh, system, and um, so they didn't succeed, and it won't happen now. How how do they determine those levels? How do the scientists establish those those heuristics? Well, I think they, they they go and they talk to the fish, right? <laughs> In a sense, yes. Uh, you one method of determining uh, actually it's it's not as silly as it sounds. One method uh, to get uh, the uh, the amount of fish that is in the sea is to um, send a sound waves in the sea hmm. to talk, to scream at them. And then <laughs> you measure how much comes back. And uh, depending on uh, calibration that you have done before, you can 
the strength of the signal that is sent back is telling you there is fish in this area. And it's called echo sounding or hydroacoustics. You, you, you can get this demonstration um, from any fisher. Uh, we have, they have um, echo sounder or hydroacoustics echo locators where you can see the, the surface of the sea, the bottom of the sea, and, and this is like a screen that rolls, and you can see the, the dark spots of the fish. Uh, this, uh, in, if this is a simple echo sounder, this will be group of fish, but if, if it's very precise, you can get single fish, and you can determine how big they are, and uh, certain fish can be better identified than others. Uh, for example, if they have a gas bladder, there is a strong contrast between the, the water and the gas, and uh, they, you, the signal you get is very clear. So just like whales can identify um, prey, identify potential prey with sounds, and dolphins can do that, humans can do that as well. This is one method. Um, hmm. Another method is tagging. You catch a few fish, uh, you, you tag them, you put a tag on their back, and then you throw them back. They will mix with the fish that are there. And when you catch a few more, the, the dilution of the fish that you have tagged into the, the fish that are in the, in the water uh, will tell you how many they are. Imagine you tag 100 fish, and then you catch them again, and you get one in 10 of your fish that you catch have a tag. That means the, the population was is 10 times bigger, right? Uh, and, and so on. So you can, you can tag fish and you can find how big they are, how big they are. Another way of the, uh, I will, a third method I will give you is if the fish get old, um, you can actually track if you if you catch them, if you catch a few, there will be uh, fewer fish that are 11 year old compared with 10 year old, with nine year old, and so on. How can you tell? So that? if you if you, pardon? How can you tell nine versus 10 versus 11? Or oh, the age of fish can be determined by uh, looking at a bone. Uh, you can look at almost every bone that they have. Uh, but uh, in cod, for example, you look at the bone that they have in the inner ear. Mm. The, it's a bone that allows them to tell whether they have to balance themselves. And this bone can be cut, and you will see rings like trees. So if you cut a tree, mm. you will see a, a ring, a winter ring and summer rings, right? You can count them, and you know how old the tree is. Uh, you can uh, fish uh, ha also have uh, have uh, annual rings in their bones. And so you can know, uh, when you catch a fish, you can know how old it is. And so if you catch a bunch of fish, you will have more, usually more of, a, of um, that are old than that are new and uh, that are young because uh, young fish come and they die gradually. Hmm. So... So you can, from the catch composition, you can infer the mortality rate, the, the mortality rate. 
And if you have the amount that you catch and the mortality rate, you can infer how big the population is. So this is, it involves a practical component. Uh, you can, you have to sample the fish, you have to age them, and then it involves a mathematical component. And uh, lots of fishery science is, is actually applied math. So you're making a lot of predictions so, about what will happen. Well, my, yeah, my uh, question and, and is, my question is, the ocean is really big, and you're making these predictions about what will happen or what can happen. How do you know that the fish aren't just getting away from you? If, if you humans uh -huh. are fishing so close to one place, can't they just go somewhere else? The, the, the uh, fish uh, don't go everywhere. Huh. Uh, it's like... Uh, uh, the Wilder Basin is Serengeti. They go. They don't. They they stay in Tanzania. They don't go to Somalia or or or, or all the way to Congo and stuff. So, the population inhabits a certain uh, a certain area. Well, sort and, of, uh, but humans don't. Humans don't. Right? If you look at the human history. Well, the fish have immigration policies clearly, or something. And you think they have like fish visas? <laughs> Fish, fish uh, have constraints as to the temperature that they can tolerate, uh, uh, the the depth that they can tolerate. The, uh, they have constraints. Humans are the only being on Earth that has abolished all constraints on the on its own distribution, and uh, this is uh, the. This is what has made us uh, an invasive species, uh -huh. the most deadly invasive species on Earth. The fact that we are not limited. Look at um, humans, uh, like say, one million years ago, where we were not really humans then. We needed certain things to, to live. And so our distribution at the time was... Uh, subtropical zone and, and tropical zone. 400 years later, 400 years later, humans had learned to accommodate colder climate. And so uh, Neanderthal and other human-like being emerged that could tolerate colder climate. And modern humans learned to, learned to sow. Neanderthal didn't don't have needles in their uh, in their repertoire, mm. and uh, sewing made it possible to make clothes that would really protect you from the cold, and it became possible to invade even areas like uh, Siberia and then North Asia and North America, and so the emergence of the various Inuit cultures uh, is connected with uh, with with uh, not only new method of hunting and so on, but uh, the ability to sow. And, and so each of, of the invention that we made enabled us to live in an, another habitat. But animals don't, don't make invention. They evolve and evolve, evolve to, to get new, into new habitat. And that's a process that is much slower. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that animals do invent things but 
humans haven't noticed it yet? I'm always curious about oh, this. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, for example, um, spiders. I'm an arachnophobe, so it's very difficult <laughs> to me, for me to talk about it. Have invented, in the course of their evolution, material such as silk, yeah. spider silk, more resistance on a per cross-sectional basis than steel. So, uh, but they also, don't build bridges with it for some reason. For they some don't reason, build, you well, humans... they do build bridges, but they don't build bridges the size we do. There's no but, public uh, infrastructure the, in the spider world. Huh. Yes, but there is public infrastructure in the termite world. Huh. And termites have invented uh, the way to um, air conditioning uh, uh, much earlier than us. Uh, in other words, if we look at the at the animal world, we will find lots of invention that we have problems uh, replicating. For example, another one is ants uh, uh, cultivate uh, fungus, the fungi that they eat, and they manage to keep bacteria from eating the, the cultures. And we also always have problems with parasites, but apparently the ants have a way to protect their farming system from from bacteria we don't uh, so there is a lot to learn from animal technology and and in fact uh, lots of scientists do that learn animal technology but overall our technology is better than that of all animals <laughs> except that uh, this technology might be our demise and mm. uh, so i don't know if it is really better but uh, uh, we will we will go along with the idea of better technology. Well, this is being. what's so interesting, right? Because humans have this ability to fish. And you're saying that the early Europeans came to North America and they fished in a way that you said was sustainable. And then there was the invention of this new technology the trawler, which was not sustainable. Did anybody talk about that at the moment? Or did it seem like trawling was yeah. totally going to be okay? Um, trawling was invented in the age of sail, in, in 1400-something in England. And um, it was always controversial. Mm. People always knew that it is, it is a problem. And there were always objections. But it opposed small fishes, small-scale fishes, with large-scale fishes that had uh, that had the means of acquiring bigger boats. And with this, when you have such means, you have also political access. And so, uh, so the 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 people who had uh, who deployed trawlers always have more political power than the ones who don't. Hmm. And and um, the the issue of trolling versus not trolling is simply an issue of power, um, of political power, economic power, and uh, it's similar to lots of stuff that we have problem that we have. We 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 cannot uh, the transition of fisheries away from trolling. Is essentially a political issue, like like uh, healthcare, like mm. education, like like uh, lots of 
other issue, the environment, uh, the protection of forests, the protection of soils, and, and these are always political issue because if somebody is uh, can make a quick buck out of uh, uh, destructive environmental destructive uh, technology, they will do it as long as they can, and uh, they have to be stopped. The only thing, the only debates that that are purely scientific nowadays are debate about cosmology, and mm. uh, because uh, we cannot uh, influence black holes and so on, and 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 even those debates are are biased by the by by the by ideas that people have in the back of their head mm-hmm. uh, about creation and and theology but uh, uh, the scientific debate for example about the hubble constant how fast the universe expand uh, are purely scientific debates people people argue about with evidence and so on but every debate debates about trolling <laughs> debate about about uh, uh, Healthcare and stuff a debate about um, scientific issues combined with um, with uh, economic interests, and that is the the most toxic uh, mix that you can have. I how do you define science, Dr. Polly? Ola, I I think it's something like the, the systematic study of the of the world around us something like that and so i i studied in germany um my very systematic very systematic and in germany very what very systematic place germany yeah that's not the point here the the point here is uh that the germans don't make uh, much of a difference between um what they call Geisteswissenschaft, which is uh, humanities and 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 social sciences and uh, the natural sciences, Naturwissenschaft. The, the the two concepts are not very similar. Very are very similar in that it is a systematic study where evidence has to be presented for or against uh, what is being discussed. And and this emphasis on evidence is is the key point, and and it, it it is almost the same in fisheries or chemistry and stuff, and in history. If you study history and you you make the claim that uh, the Roman Empire collapsed because of internal, because it it had problem raising taxes and not because of barbarian invasion, you have to present uh, evidence. But and, and, and it's interesting. This emphasis on evidence is a point. So it yeah. seems like many different positions can point to the same evidence and come up with completely different interpretations of what's happening. And in that, yeah, I understand. the The same evidence can lead to uh, to different conclusion. In that case, you must get more evidence. <laughs> the this. The more evidence is the only way to separate uh, the wheat from the chaff. Uh, you and better quality to, evidence. It seems like it seems like you're very much concerned uh, with the quality of the evidence, right? Well, the 
when where if you have a lots of weak evidence from different fields this is this this is almost the same as quality evidence from one field <laughs> uh, uh, because because uh, when you an announce uh, an explanation for something that something should not only explain the fact that you have but the fact it should explain uh, related facts um for example uh, evolution doesn't only explain why plants work but also animals and uh, only it works only for bacteria and it was produced at a time when genomics when genetics was not known and not to mention genomics but when this stuff came on board it also worked so in other words natural selection is an example of scientific theory that was successful that explained the evidence that was available at the time that Darwin worked on it but it also explained other things that were not available to him so and it's generalizable it's general is general and uh, really the best science and i i mean both uh, geisteswissenschaft and naturwissenschaft the, the both uh, social science if you like or humanities is evidence that is 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 uh, a statement that uh, applied to a, a large number of to a large field uh, because the if 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 something applies only to a small thing it is only a description a description of that small thing uh, an explanation applies to a broad field and then the description must be smaller than the thing that is to be described and to be explained if your explanation is too big relative to what is to be explained it's not an explanation it's a description so on so our planet statement. we on our planet we think of explanations as mechanism so there has yeah. to be a very ordered sequence of cause and effect whereas a yep. description something like you know like you guys have uh, say Newton's laws of gravity which describe how the planets move but they don't really explain how the planets move yeah. right exactly exactly uh, an explanation is something that uh, maps a phenomenon onto something else that that is established so because what you you don't want you don't want to regress at infinitum you don't want to 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 have one turtle on top of the turtle on top of another turtle and so on you you want uh, the thing that uh, is supposed to be explained is supposed to be resting on things that don't need to be explained uh on and so um this mapping i i call it mapping it is uh, this mapping is uh, is essential that's that's an explanation and lots of explanation of so called explanation that you find in marine biology in my field are, are really description and restatement of the problem uh, i remember i remember as a student i i encountered a book uh, i had a textbook in 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 german that was explaining <laughs> explaining why 
plants kind of sleep at during the night. Mm-hmm. You know, they do fewer things and they sleep because of a, the release of a substance that is called <laughs> dormin. Dormin. Uh, <laughs> that's from the French word dormir, uh, to sleep. And this was a, a wonderful example of a stupid non-explanation. <laughs> <laughs> it physicalizes it, though, which is probably what the Western scientists were interested in at the time. Yeah, it it, it provides a, a pseudo explanation uh, that has a technical uh, touch. <laughs> so yeah. So my question, uh, my what's really interesting is that on Earth, it seems like these special interest groups you talked about the economic and political powers are able to sort of weaponize these explanations to their own ends. And, and these non-explanations, yep. too. And non-explanations, descriptions, <laughs> pseudo-explanations. I'm curious what the future of protecting the actual objective evaluation of your natural world looks like. What are the ways well, you can imagine <laughs> of protecting against those sort of tragedies of the commons and profiteering? And what's the future look like? The, the jury is still out. The jury is still out whether we will make it or not. I just read a, a nice book uh, 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 that could be described as science fiction, but it really is not. Uh, uh, it's called uh, The Ministry of the Future. Uh, this is uh, it's a story that starts two years from now uh, about uh, the, the Paris Accord producing a little agency that is supposed to anticipate how the world or work toward a world where where we don't have global warming where we where we have uh, less carbon dioxide dioxide emission and uh, um, a marvelous woman is hired from Ireland that leads this uh, agency which is then renamed has a nickname like the World Bank has a nickname and so on, the Ministry of the Future. And, and uh, she does, she, she manages to convince uh, central bankers of major countries, including China, to, to produce a currency uh, that is linked to carbon um, sequestration. And, uh, but she managed to do that only because India suffers a, a heat wave that kills 20 million Indians. Mm. And uh, so that's very realistic because heat waves are coming. Heat waves uh, have already occurred. The, uh, one of the first was in France, it killed 20,000 people. And uh, so, so this book uh, outlines how the world could change toward, toward a world where, where we don't have global warming but one the price you have to pay is that she had to tolerate in her agency a black op, a black op operation that uh, her deputy run that uh, was uh, was using drone to bring down airplanes wow. and uh, uh, jet planes especially jet planes of billionaires flying around uh, uh, the island wow. and uh, so, so you can actually change the world, but um, it is doubtful in that book, you see that, that we will do it harmoniously, uh, that we will do it because 
we have the better argument. Uh, uh, it will depend a lot on on accident, on 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 contingency, and therefore it's unpredictable. The, basically, uh, I believe that any anything, any 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 prediction will be wrong because because it depends on too many things that cannot be evaluated. Imagine uh, Trump could have actually won his election if he had not been so stupid with regard to COVID. If he had won the election, Paris agreement would be definitely shot because he would ignore it for more, for more years and stuff. The Paris agreement can be revived. Maybe it will spawn a ministry of the future. Maybe it will spawn activities, but it it this possibility, and it is only a possibility, is only possible because that stupid ass Trump has been um, repudiated by a, a slim majority, if you like. That that is not predictable. This uh, this was not predictable, and. Uh, this was not predicted and not predictable. And, and, and so the world consists, the future consists of so many things that uh, people who say this will happen, this will happen, are almost certainly wrong. And, and therefore, we can only hope. And if you want to know the, the, the motto that I live by is that it's not at all uh, this will work and therefore I will do it. But uh, I, I live by what could happen is so horrible that we must fight against it irrespective of the chance of, 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 the, of the possibility of winning or losing. This is very similar to Churchill in 1940, who said we will fight the Germans on the beach, we'll fight them everywhere. Uh, in the hills, everywhere, all the time. But he didn't know that that is, that the Allies would win. He didn't know he didn't know that the U.S. would uh, shift to helping Britain. Uh, it was completely open at the time. He didn't know that Japan would attack the U.S. and and the German declared war on the U.S., which is insane, uh, and uh, and and the U.S. would come. He didn't know all these things. He didn't know even that uh, Germany would attack uh, the Soviet Union, which is completely insane. But at the time when they had not beaten Britain, and he didn't know any of these things, but he promised to fight. And uh, that's what we can do. This is the only thing that we know, what we're going to do. And uh, and so I admire, I admire... Greta and and the other people who fight against uh, climate change, and uh, in my part of the world, I I, I do fight uh, if I can qualify that of fighting against overfishing, but uh, I have no no idea about whether we would win or not. No idea. It's really interesting to me that in this novel that you just described, there is this really cool idea of incentivizing let's say, ecological decisions or ethical ecological decisions on a personal level. But what's really interesting is that this single metric of 
carbon dioxide is singled out. Do which seems like it leaves the door open to, you know, fishery damage and toxic waste and, let's say, yeah. all sorts of other environmental catastrophes yeah. that could be going on under the surface. Why do you think that humans uh, are so fixated on this single metric, carbon dioxide? I think, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, we are fixating on carbon dioxide because it's the most important metric. That that's one. Uh, I think this is the most important one. Uh, Same methane way. might be uh, might be also important in the future, but uh, right now, all yeah, but is it possible? Hold on, is it possible that the carbon dioxide? Let's say that humans stopped producing all pollutants and kept producing carbon dioxide at the rate that they're producing today. Is it possible that ecosystems would be able to recover sufficiently to mitigate the additional carbon dioxide? Or alternatively, uh, so. if you get rid of all the carbon dioxide, let's say magically in the next century, you get rid of all the carbon dioxide, but you still have the polluting industry. You still have yes. all of the other inputs. Do you think that ecosystems pesticides would recover? Pesticides, yeah. I, 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 I hear you, but, but the effort to turn around energy production, which is centered around the burning of fossil fuel and carbon dioxide emission, this effort will be so big and uh, the electrification of our energy system will um, should should have as a byproduct that uh, certain things will be also sorted out but i must admit that uh, in that book for example the ocean are not mentioned huh. and they are it is assumed they it is either because the author didn't want to open a can of worm of worms or because he thought that uh, the ocean would would pay the price because anyway the but yeah that's exactly what i'm talking that's exactly it it seems like there's a lot of if you focus only on one metric and we know that the carbon nope. dioxide on earth has gone through the roof in the past without the humans around and it'll probably go through the roof again and it'll sink back down and the ferns will no, sop no, it up no, and no, but that's not the way to look at it that's not the way to look at it because that metric, that metric is directly connected with temperature. And the temperature is directly connected with survival of lots of species. But so the temperature has been varying it, it, a lot, right? Throughout the history of the planet. Yeah, uh, and, so, and so has the biodiversity of the planet. And uh, if you increase uh, the, the carbon dioxide uh, in the atmosphere, you can get a... Uh, 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 um, a mass extinction. And that's what we're getting. This is what we are getting into. So this metric is not measuring something else. It, you call it a metric. I, I think it's wrong. It's not a measure of something else. It is itself bad. You know, we use GDP. Uh, GDP, uh, we use it to measure well-being, wealth, and so on. And it is a bad metric. This is because it is a bad metric because it doesn't it doesn't describe what the, the the real thing that happens, which is how 
the majority of population uh, partakes in the economy. But carbon dioxide is not a metric. It's not a measure of something else. It is itself bad. And, and so I, I, I don't agree that doing that metric, uh, reducing carbon dioxide alone, wouldn't be the thing to do. It is the thing to do because, because the political power of the fossil industry is so immense that if it were broken, the, the issues of fisheries would be easily settled. Uh, basically, you can break this issue of, of carbon dioxide emission by polluting industry. You, only through a political change that is massive and would involve lots of people, the majority of population on Earth. And if we succeed in that, the other stuff is um, easy to solve, so, but but we because it's not a metric. I so what you're it saying, what you're saying is that carbon dioxide needs to be mitigated because it is a readout for energy systems that burn things to provide. Fossil, in the, fossil, fossil fuel, yes. Or biochar or whatever it is that people choose to burn. But basically, humans have been combusting things for a really, really, really long time. And if humans can figure out how to power their civilization without, with, without burning things, then a lot of problems get solved. Because yes. there's a lot less of a burden on the planet. I should add, I should add that I was getting worried as I read the book that population never got mentioned. And uh, then it got mentioned near the end hmm. um, because uh, the, the democratic, the, with small d, change that would be necessary to shift over to a decentralized uh, uh, electricity-based uh, uh, world, civilization, the, these democratic changes would change also the population, this, the, the, the standing of women in, in, uh, in all cultures. Mm. And uh, that, uh, that uh, change status should be, should be that every woman can control how many children she wants to have independently of her husband or whatever man. Uh, that that is a crucial element of our survival. That uh, women make a decision can make a decision of every children they want to have. But by the way, I'm the first of eight wow. of eight children. My mother didn't want any of us. Aww. She loved us all, but she didn't want any of us. She is a victim. She was a victim of a policy a natalist policy that France had that prevented women from uh, being able to regulate the number of children they had. And it is, it, it is assumed, this is probably not correct, that uh, democratization would lead to, to uh, reduction of the number of children that uh, people have. It probably is true, but uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't at all mind if uh, 
if uh, public service announcement were done, especially in rich countries, uh, to have fewer children. Uh, I, I think uh, the economists uh, that tell us that we need to have a pyramid uh, of young people to help uh, to maintain economic growth are completely insane uh, because, uh, because this pyramid is what is causing us to move toward 10 billion people and beyond, uh, which is which is completely insane. Well, but uh, hold on, hold on, and, hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. Before we go to the insanity of demographics on Earth, I want to finish with this question of carbon dioxide. So we settled that there is a good reason to point to carbon dioxide as a necessary metric to deal with or a necessary... as like an output marker for industrial control let's say over the general it's operation not a marker it is it is the thing it, it is, is not the a thing. marker well it's one of the things right i mean we have pesticides we have nuclear oh, no, hold on hold on it's different it's different it's different because it's, carbon dioxide is it, from not... burning from burning from fossil fuels right so like construction, the under- construction industry is like 20% of emissions on Earth, right? So anytime you build a building, you have to make cement, and making concrete is really energetically yep. expensive. Okay. I understand it's it's threatening and on its own level, okay. but it's also a marker. Hold right? on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me make this presentation. It is being used as a marker for doing other stuff. So... We interviewed someone who studies solar geoengineering. Do you know what this is, Dr. Polly? Yeah, sure, I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your reaction says everything. So what well, is happening is that carbon dioxide is being used to justify this sort of technological development that humans can't possibly know the outcome to. Well, the, we we sorry the, the the solar geoengineering people who, pro, if that's what you mean, or, or propose to um, prevent uh, sun rays to uh, all sun rays to reach the earth uh, by by releasing particles. They, this is also dealt with in the book. It it, it I think it is crazy. Did you write this book? Because. Uh, <laughs> Pardon? I said, did you write did this I book? Did I write it? Yeah, is this your book? No, I didn't write oh, okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. But I was really impressed by it. Uh, uh, it, 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 is, uh, it is crazy because it all it would do, it, it would prevent um, um, warming, but it would not prevent carbon dioxide to pile up and it would go acidific, it would continue the acidification process and and basically, it would remove the incentive to actually generate less carbon. And the, our civilization would then be at the mercy of the continued insulation of this, um, of this uh, provided by, uh, by these um, this, uh, particles uh, that we would uh, produce. And that is a, a sure thing to ensure a, a quick catastrophe uh, a few years, a few decades down the, down the line. Uh, I think this, this scheme, has, uh, which would sacrifice the ocean, the world ocean, that is one thing, 
but uh, are completely insane, and they are they are a, a result of consideration like how can we prevent uh, the changes from affecting the fossil fuel industry, and basically the fossil fuel industry and the industry that generates the industries that generate uh, lots of uh, carbon dioxide, like the construction industry, they have to change. And if they don't change, the trying to prevent sun rays from reaching the earth so they can continue to emit is completely insane. But uh, the people have, are so twisted by the, by, the, by the belief that things have to continue to be done the way they were done before. Um, that is a real problem. And, and if our civilization commits suicide, that is going to be it. That's going to be that way. So let's say that you humans figure out how to completely abridge your carbon output. Will that fix the oceans? If, if we continue to fish the same way, certainly not. If we continue to use them for dumping, uh, car, dumping plastics, certainly not. It is a necessary condition, not a sufficient condition. And basically, all of this, that what we're talking about, are all necessary conditions. They are not sufficient conditions. I love that. Sufficient condition, the sufficient condition are, are, law, are the finishing touch. Uh, for example, if we don't, if we don't, um, if we lick that problem of carbon dioxide, we will have some people would propose that we go for nuclear energy. And uh, uh, there, is, uh, there is various opinion about that. And um, then we will have to deal with that also. But uh, we, without fixing the main problem, we, we cannot fix any other problem. And, and uh, if, if this global warming continues, the, the, the big issue is that uh, you can maintain the inequality of access to resources only through violence. Uh, that is, we have problem with water, we have problem with, um, with uh, food, we will have problem with food, and because harvest uh, depend on the monsoon in in uh, South Asia, and and the monsoon will go down the drain uh, one of these years, and and there are billions of people that are going to be affected, and uh, that is the time at which the option of going fascist uh, open itself for the big rich countries. Uh, the U.S. is a case in point. Uh, it is at the edge of turning into a fascist country. And uh, I've lived a long time in Germany. I know what I'm talking about. And uh, the, the people who are affected mostly by uh, this global warming thing are people of color. And, and they will have to be accommodated uh, as, uh, as uh, Bangladesh, for example, is flooded and they will have to find homes. And uh, the rich country will not want to provide them homes. 
So we, we're talking about uh, the possibility of, of mass genocide or mass killings or, or wars. And, and, this, and this is, <clears throat> is the, prob the problem that comes with global warming, the possibility of wars. Uh, and, and what we had in Syria, uh, I don't know if you have followed that up, but the Mesopotamia Syria, comes up again. Pardon? Mesopotamia is not Mesopotamia, looking so yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is no purpose. Mesopotamia. The the whole mess in Syria started with a drought. Mm. Uh, Syria uh, had a drought, uh, and three four million farmers went into the cities, and they didn't find in the cities the the welcome in their own city, mind you in the welcome and the, the social services that they were expecting. And uh, the, at, the, at the same time, there was the, <clears throat> the, the Arab Spring, and people hoped for, for these resources to be liberated by uh, having a more democratic regime. And they asked for the more democratic regime, and they, what they got is an army that uh, killed them. And then, uh, so, uh, one half of the population went into fighting and the other half left the country. And they fled to through Turkey into Europe and they almost caused the European Union to break apart over the issue of a few millions uh, Syrians, uh, one million Syrians. Uh, they almost called it, because Germany accepted them, some other countries did not. Uh, uh, fascist, uh, semi-fascist regime like uh, like we have now in Hungary, uh, and uh, the law in uh, the European Union is that uh, refugees should be should be distributed evenly, and uh, Germany did uh, accept a huge number of refugees, and uh, a Nazi party re-emerged because of that hmm. in Germany, it, uh, a fascist kind of group. Uh, that is likely to be the case. Trump was fighting, uh, the, the, the main thing with Trump was immigrant, immigrant control, uh, immigrant mistreatment. That was the thing. People of color in general, but immigrants specifically. What do you think will happen when we have millions and millions and millions of people coming because of drought, coming because of climate change in general, of, uh, of their country being flooded. Well, so I, this is the that... question that I have. This is the question that I have. The version of the world where there are millions of migrants that need to be accepted into other countries is very much a real event. And the fact that they're not being accepted into these countries very smoothly is also a very real event. Humans are really struggling with this right now. But on a long enough time scale, climate change is inevitable, right? Like, let's say, let's say there's no carbon dioxide. Let's say carbon dioxide is mitigated. The climate will still change. You don't solve this problem by getting rid of carbon dioxide. It's changed on every planet we've looked at so far. I mean, Antarctica has oh, yeah. had ginkgo and palms oh. growing <laughs> on it, right? You, you, you have you. You're dealing here with a guy who'd read science fiction, and there is we emerged our civilization 
uh, emerged uh, about 10,000 years ago in the Middle East that was cooler than now. And it emerged in a period of, of history of the evolution of the earth that was specific and it was it was not too hot not too hot, gold goldilocks kind mm-hmm, of thing mm-hmm. we have the possibility forget about climate change now climate the emission like crazy we could stabilize the climate at the level we want and at the level we need so i don't know what you have encountered on other planets but uh, we could stabilize the climate at the level that we want so i i don't buy that the climate would change anyway because we could again technically we could prevent further change how do you think that carbon dioxide is the only factor that leads to climate change wait i want to know how you're uh, going to prevent change these are two questions we well, certainly we can I- imagine if we can we can draw carbon dioxide of the atm- out of the atmosphere we can decide to what level we draw it down and that uh, would set the average temperature uh, we can also modify the albedo of the earth in general by uh, by uh, having ice or not having ice or, or we can we can we can change the color of the ice we can put soot all over antarctica if you wanted and get it to melt in no time incident yeah so i we can actually technologically we could stabilize the climate for 10000 for the next 10000 years no problem that's and very ambitious then we what if the well, what if the earth that. gets closer to the in, sun in, though what about the well, axial we, precession in 10000 years we could also prevent that from happening we we uh, there is a Uh, uh, a very nice Chinese uh, science fiction is called The Wandering Earth mm. uh, because uh, the sun is going to explode and uh, people uh, built uh, huge motors that pushed the earth out of its present orbit. We did that, that once! Is, yeah, our, our species had to do that one yeah. time. Uh, look, we don't need to go so deep in science fiction. The point is that there is no reason to assume that um, we could not get out of this technologically speaking we can get out of this bind we are in on short term in the longer term we will colonize other planets we will terraform them and we will expand if we make it past this past this problem that we have now and that's not sure it's not sure that we will make it because because 10 billion people uh, that hate each other um, that that could be a big problem uh, and uh, the hatred uh, the inability to cooperate um, uh, the emergence of leaders that uh, see everything in a zero sum as a zero sum game that uh, can bring huge trouble but it is not necessarily so It seems like that hatred is very profitable and looking at things as a zero sum game allows certain power groups to sort of dominate others. What yeah, but they don't always win. Uh, they don't always win. Trump is is out mm-hmm. tomorrow. Big risk. So, so 
so we cannot predict. I, I was I was convinced that he would win, and uh, I, he didn't. Uh, so so we don't know, and and therefore we have to fight for what is right, for what we think is right, and 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 it's, let the ship come down. I really appreciate your optimism. And I'm not optimistic. <laughs> well, it I'm seems like you 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 believe in fighting. That's more optimistic than yeah, let's say. That's right. That's right. I'm I'm militant, not so much <laughs> optimistic. Optimistic. I, I frankly I think that these categories, optimistic, pessimistic, don't mean anything. Hmm. Uh, if I go back to the Churchill analogy, the issue was not. Are you optimistic or pessimistic with regard to the survival of British Isles uh, against a German Oslo? No. This the question was: Are we going to fight or not? That was the issue, and I think that is the only way you can tackle this problem. The optimistic versus pessimistic question is: Well, in your case, since you come from another planet, uh, it, you can afford to do that. You can afford to look at the earth and say, well, it might work, it might not work, but we cannot, we cannot, because we are in it. So the issue for us is not whether we're going to make it or not. The issue is whether what we're going to do. Well, so the question that. is, do you fight for keeping things as they are, or do you fight for being resilient to change? I, uh, being a reason to change doesn't mean anything to me. It, uh, uh, there are things that are happening that I don't like, and I fight against them. I don't know what being resilient to change means, and I, I suspect that it means nothing. I think Sorry, that what it uh, means but, is, like, you're saying that there's all of this nationalism. You're saying that there's all of this hatred and violence on Earth. And that, to me, seems like it comes from not wanting things to change. Well, you don't want things to change into a fascist regime, probably. Well, I think that people are violent because they want their regimes to be maintained, right? I mean, the this whole thing with nationalism emerging and European nationalism and the migrant crisis, people in Europe... Yeah, they... Wanted Europe yeah, to stay a certain people way. People are afraid to change. Uh, sometimes people, indeed, are afraid to change and are afraid to change. It. Uh, but sometimes people can handle change uh, if if it is uh, if it is if they can see the point. And uh, the point is to make that visible, um, because uh, some some things cannot go on, and. Um, Again, uh, uh, I lived a long time in Germany, and uh, I came to that country in '63, and I met lots of people whose life had been shaped by Nazism, by the 12th year that Hitler was in power. And uh, some of them were still dreaming of him. Uh, they were still Nazi at heart. And many of them, most of them had understood that it was wrong <laughs> and uh, and basically we we have to do that we have to uh, to fight the good fight and that's pro bono contra malum we you have to pick up 
things that are good and then work against the things that are no good. This is almost trivial. Uh, this is at the base of the morality of every culture. Uh, you know, in a culture, you should not lie, you should not uh, steal things, and you should not kill your neighbor. And or there is not one culture that says that you should do that. Um, so basically, we we have to to draw on the roots of 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 culture, uh, which is what enables us to live together. And uh, and 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 you it's get out of the zero sum game. It's interesting uh, that it, the it, the Department of Defense doesn't seem to live up to that culture. Or let's say the criminal justice system or, you know, it seems like there's times the IRS likes to steal, criminal justice system likes to kill people. Yeah, but uh, they they do that, but uh, we assess them by the criteria that I mentioned. In other words, when when the criminal justice system does what what it does... uh, too many First Nation uh, are killed by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. We use that criteria, that criterion that I mentioned, to criticize them, and uh, we don't say they do whatever they want, and we let them. Similarly, uh, armies uh, in the West, at least, are held to certain standard since the the creation of the Red Cross. Uh, armies are not supposed to kill the prisoners. Uh, and uh, in the U.S., for example, against Trump was criticized for pardoning killers that soldiers, American soldiers that had killed civilians in the, the in Iraq. Mm. Now, now that implies that at least in the U.S. Army there are there are mechanisms to punish soldiers that uh, are killing civilians. Uh, that was a totally inconceivable uh, two centuries ago. Yeah. Totally inconceivable because... So you do not say there is no progress. Uh, they, Martin Luther King, we had Martin Luther King yesterday, the arc of justice bends the arc of history, bends toward justice. Uh, that We can see that. We... the or the circle of empathy that uh, uh, sometimes is evoke, we it it it, it broadens uh, and includes more and more people of different uh, uh, belief and collaboration. A uh, hundred years ago, I could not, with my skin color, have taught at UBC, and in fact, I would not. Uh, uh, the circle of empathy includes even characters like you uh, now. Right. <laughs> it constantly expands. But my fur is so nice. It does look very good. But I don't know. I mean, humans are a very they're very resistant to change and none of these things have happened easily or quietly. People have pushed for change. Yeah. N- nobody says that uh, that is easy. But uh, but uh, specifically, I'm I'm French, but my father was African American, and uh, 200 years ago, 250 years ago, what 
uh, a while ago, uh, my 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 ancestors were slaves in in U.S. plantation, and anybody who says that there is no social progress, um, I I think it's not very nice because it says that there is no difference between my situation um, as professor at UBC and that of my ancestors uh, in the deep south of the United States is the same. There's been no change. Well, that's stupid, uh, obviously. And uh, you, the brown one, you are a, 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 you are a, a, a female uh, of whatever species you belong to, uh, uh, females, humans, where didn't have <laughs> didn't have the right to to be. Mm. Uh, my mother my mother got the right to have a, a, an account a bank account only in the sixties you know, or seventies uh, in France, uh, and and that 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 is also the arc. Yeah, that's true. The progress takes a long time, if any progress, but I think it. There is something like progress, uh, because, even ecologically. Because ecologically, no. Uh, we we hmm. are we are biodiversity on Earth is in great danger, and uh, uh, I will mention that book again uh, because it, it is structured around uh, half the Earth. Uh, this is a book by um, uh, E.O. Wilson. Uh, uh, that proposed that we should uh, rewild half the earth. We should give half the earth to to the animals and plants. And I think this is a marvelous idea. And um, uh, the book explain how rewilding half of the U.S. would actually enhance agriculture, enhance uh, uh, everything. Actually, uh, it it makes a good case that rewilding is a good idea. And uh, I think so too. I, I think so, uh, that working ecosystems, uh, plants and stuff, without us in it, would be having a loss of this ecosystem would be a good thing. Uh, so half the earth, because if we don't move out of the world of, of, um, of forests and, and, and plains and stuff, and floodplains, and if we don't move out of them, we destroy them. Yeah, the real uh, question is going to be whose half of the earth gets moved out of. Well, maybe you can oh, move out the hot part. Uh, it should be it should be fractal. It should be in all ecosystem half because uh, it, obviously, if if we if 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 uh, if all Indians have to go, so the India can be rewilded. That's not right and not fair it has to be fractal and and we have a similar problem when we try to create national parks or marine protected areas they they must not be uh, out there in the in the middle of the ocean they they must be everywhere uh it's going to be fractal as well or it's not going to work you know what's really interesting so that- to me is you talked about you made a really good case for there really is all this amazing progress on earth the humans are have all of I mean the idea of human rights is a relatively modern conception. Yeah. But what's really scary if you look at history going all the way back to Mesopotamia 
and the droughts and the climate change is that these ecological issues actually, like you say, can lead to wars and very quickly without a, let's say, a government or uh, these sort of international uh, cooperation, you lose human rights, right? Those are the, some of the first things that are yep. going to disappear. And so yep. all of this progress, in some sense, is very much hinging upon the health of your local environment, your ecology. And the continuation of the civilization, right? Because of civilization... And, and your democracy. And your democracy. Because uh, if you look at uh, the Nazi, they were, they were negating 2,000 years of, of societal progress because they, they, they abolished all that we knew about how we live together. And, uh, but uh, again, they were beaten. And uh, the, after the Im immediate after, war, uh, after World War II, there was a, an outburst of democratic democratization uh, that was global. And um, uh, the, the working class in, uh, in many, many countries was drawn into into uh, uh, thirty years of um, of um, of economic progress. Uh, the middle the middle class in the U.S. was pro produced. In Germany, uh, they were they had a, a so-called Wirtschaftswunder, an economic miracle. Um, uh, in France, it was called the Trente Glorieuse, the glorious thirty years, because uh, misery was extirpated out of France in, in the 30 years after the war. And, and the colonial empires, which were unjust and, 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 and violent and, and, and racist, the colonial empire of France and Britain and Portugal, they broke down in the 60s, especially in the 60s. So you can tell the, the World War II the beating of that beast that fascism was uh, led to a democratization, a wave of democratization that uh, and, and progress and the creation of the United Nations, declaration of human rights and so on. And, and uh, you cannot tell, I cannot tell the age in your species, but maybe you're too young to, to have experienced the regression that started in the uh, 80s with the election of uh, Reagan in the US and Thatcher in the in, uh, in, in UK, that, that all these achievements were intellectually and in practice turned back. And uh, from the early 80s on, the relative uh, standing of the working class work, uh, as a whole and uh, the rich people um, became worse and worse and worse starting in, in the early 80s. And so from the early 80s on, all benefit from uh, increased productivity went to the, to the very rich. And, and, and that uh, is uh, one reason why we have uh, this drift to the right now, because, because we don't, uh, the workers, the Poor people actually don't get the benefit of of the increased productivity of the society in which we live. Why do you think and, that pushes people need... to the right, though? Because isn't the left because it's, because because, because uh, it is conceptually difficult to 
conceive your economy as one that is designed to rob you. And, and it's easier to conceive the, the fault of, for your problem of being in other people. Um, basically, I would say that's going to sound stupid, but they would say we are too dumb to understand what is being done to us. Hmm. And uh, most people, and, uh, and we are being screwed by our economic system, but we don't see it. And all, all, we, all we do is react to, to hot button issues that are presented to us. This is the immigrants. This is the, the this is the people of color. This is uh, this is uh, the, the the Jews. This is this and that. And uh, we have old habits uh, of reacting to this to these things. Uh, India India has uh, 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 Hindu Hindu nationalism. Can, uh, can you imagine such crap? Uh, uh, so you're basically saying oppress. that people aren't voting in their own interests. They're just being yeah, voting yeah. emotionally. Very much, very much against their own interests. And, and it began in the 80s because people forgot what, what the war meant, what fascism is, uh, and where it came from. Uh, they had learned it, but they unlearned it. And, uh, but, oh, and hold on, hold on, hold on. I think that in the 80s, there was also this emergence of the idea of this Malthusian dynamics. Do you, do you know that book, that Limits to Growth? Yeah, yeah, sure, I know. And I know, the, I know lots of people who have participated in it and stuff, uh, the Club of Rome. And uh, basically, this was intellectual scientists who, who did that. And uh, they had zero effect on on the population as a whole basically the 80s uh the 80s was the beginning of a rightward drift rightward drift uh, in which thatcher for example the prime minister in england said there is nothing uh, no such thing as society there is only private interest that is uh, uh, that manifests itself the fetishization of the market as uh, the solve at uh, solving everything the, the the milton friedman the chicago school of economics uh, the, all of this manifestation was the pushing back the role of the state as uh, a distributing mechanism uh, that happened throughout the West. But uh, don't you think this has the, to do with this ecological awareness too, where there was all of the sudden no. this idea that came back that there were limits to the planet and there are too many people and the fact that there are too many, no. you don't think that has anything to do with it? This, this are, these are all intellectual epiphenomena. Uh, uh, obviously, these things are true, what you're saying. Uh, there was uh, an understanding, a deeper understanding of ecology and so on. Uh, the, in fact, the 70s were bigger in, in terms of uh, understanding ecology, in the US at least, than, than now. Uh, people, there was, uh, the EPA was created and uh, the Clean Air Act, uh, even Nixon signed lots of laws that were actually fantastic. The Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, they were effective uh, legislation that uh, changed things. But uh, all of this disappeared in the, in the 80s and 
basically as a response, uh, right? So you have all of these government regulations. You have the EPA. You have the Clean Air Act. You have all of these things that are like, hey, 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 we have to take care of the planet. And what happens in the decades following is you have a massive political push by corporations to make sure yep, that that sort yep, of thinking yep. never, ever, ever manages to get but a foothold again. But this corporation came through because the citizenry as a whole voted right, voted for the right, but uh, why? For the right politically. But why? I, ah, that that is my point. They basically the the voting for the right is because they had forgotten what the right is. Hmm. What the right is, the, the right is what... Uh, is it possible they were just the, horrified by the performance of the left as well? Like they were alienated by certain leftist policies as well? I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know which ones. Hmm. It is possible. I, 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 I don't want to be a pundit or so. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 80s, the 80s were a big transformation in our society in the West. Huh. And uh, it, it it shifted to the left, to the right. And it shifted to the right. Uh, the state uh, withdrew from uh, lots of things that it can do, and it left it to the corporation. And that's the mess we are in now. Mm -hmm. And and it has to be regained. We, we have to re reestablish the legitimacy of government as as an agent of change, a positive, as a positive agent of change, uh, and uh, because governments are nothing but the expression of our collective will to live together, and governments and the and they express the corporate will to make money, right? Too. No, I mean, that that is what they have succeeded in in in. Uh, in convincing us of That's the that correction. government, that government is the place that want is a place that where the people who want to rob you, to steal stuff from you, to do you harm, are gathered. But I I propose the alternative: that government is the only place where we can, as a collective of millions of people, we can put our our agency to use because we cannot change things by acting individually. We, if we have want to have agency and change our health system or our uh, in, uh, industrial production system, we have to involve government because it is an expression of what we want. If we live in a democracy. But we must not elect then people who use the government to sell it to corporation. And uh, they, we have been, uh, too many people have uh, but, elect idiots because they don't care. But no one can get elected if they don't have corporate sponsors. They, it costs it's too much true. money. It's, it costs too much money. It's, it's, not, it's not true. It's not true, but they, this... This um, demonization of government in, in Western democracies is one reason why we have bad government. Mm. Uh, what you are saying, the government is the place where all the cooperation, actually it's not. It is the place where 
corporation will have a sway if we let them. Because you, we can elect people who will not be influenced like that. But we don't vote for them. Mm-hmm. Because why? Because because we believe inherently that government cannot do it. So it doesn't. I think that it plays out that people vote for who they're familiar with. And whoever has the most money makes themselves most familiar and they get elected. Yeah, but if, if this is simply like that, we have already lost. And, but fortunately, it is not like that. It, it is not like that. So do the, the, you have examples of places on Earth where things seem more functional than other places? Do you, do you ever look at a country? No, I, can give you, I can give you example, lots of them, of government changing things positively. And one of them is the government headed by Nelson Mandela. <laughs> that abolish slave, uh, abolish apartheid. You're gonna de- you. It cannot be right that government uh, is representation of the corporation because the corporation supported apartheid. They didn't want a franchise a franchise for all people in South Africa. Well, we, we've, we've talked about this a lot, right? Where it's the idea that the government is the entity that in its ideal form is able to push for change in a good direction. Right? Because without Mandela... Government government is us. The the point is that we live in democracies and the governments that form are an expression of us. Sure, you but there's there's very no... very powerful actors that are, have let's say corrupting motivations. They're self interested yes. and they'll defect on the whole. Yes. And it appears that they're more powerful on Earth than the people. Well, like for example, take fisheries, Sometimes. right? Like let's look at fisheries. Overfishing yeah. is bad for the fishery, but there are plenty of actors that would continue to overfish and fish it into the ground. Yep. So, an example of... And they have the, and they have the political uh, strings. One, one second. Uh, in New Zealand, they have a, a system of fisheries that where they privatized the fisheries and they were run only for cooperation and three or four cooperations run the fisheries. It was miserable. There was human rights abuse and so on. So, they had an election over a range of issues, but fisheries was won. The Labour Party won. It is now headed by a relatively young woman who is wonderful. The the fishery policy of the country is being modified, is being reformed. So it's being reformed to be different. how successful they will be depends on how many people support the change, how many people don't, how many people don't care, how many people believe, like you seem to do, that government is always in the hand of corporation, therefore we don't. Not well, always. Uh, Not always. It, depend, it will depend on all these things. But it, it has a real chance. I know that because I have a friend who is advising the government to modify the fishery policy. 
there is a good chance of getting rid of overfishing in that country. So we have we are blessed, if I can use a religious term, with having having democracy in the West. Let's not behave as if we live in dictatorship. And uh, the the argument governments are a tool of the right, a, a tool of cooperation. It is saying then then what? What do we do? We we become anarchists and and we 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 kill the ministers or something or, or we think that Somalia is better that had no government. No, I what, think it's. It I is, think you have to come up with strategies for defending yourself against that sort of corruption, perhaps. Yeah, basically we engage with government and we we put in it our friends. They become. I, I have a, a previous uh, my outreach person, the journalist that worked for us. He, he now he now is a liberal writer. Is a writer for liberal uh, uh, MP. Uh, he's not. He's not a crook. <laughs> he's not yet, at least. Abandoning abandoning government to the to the to the right wing to the corporation. Uh, can we? It has been done. It is being done, but it is a strategy to kind of lose everything. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the same. I see this as sort of the. What we came to earlier, which is that mitigating carbon dioxide is the basis upon which a more stable environmental policy can be built. And here it's mitigating corporate influence in government so that people actually have the ability to pull on these levers. Because if you don't have the ability to pull on the lever because someone is holding it down, then right-wing nationalism is the only possible outcome. Exactly. Well, um, well, that wraps so, everything up then. <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> Dr. Polly, we've taken so much of your time. You have. We really appreciate your ideas and discussion. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, just for information, is this being recorded uh, and uh, or that who, who listened? Uh, we've been publishing them on Earth. Uh, I'm not sure when this episode will go up. It takes a while, as you can imagine, to get all of the transmissions to Earth. We're on our way towards your solar system, but, you know, it's going kind of slow. Okay. But, yeah, okay. we'll, we'll keep you posted. Do inform me when something becomes, becomes available, and uh, my outreach person will be in touch. Uh, as they say in Hollywood, my people will talk to your people. <laughs> <laughs>